Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Roto Experts Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock, and I am joined by my longtime friend, Michael Salfino. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Very good, man. This is exciting. Happy to be on the pod. So the idea for this podcast was is I just wanted to talk about some guys that sort of even regardless of getting a good price on them that we just don't really want to draft this year. So, And I think that is important. I think that figuring out guys, even being a little, um, even being price agnostic that you just don't want to have on your team. And one of your big theories is just don't draft guys on bad offenses. Is that sort of what guided your list? Um, not necessarily. I mean, in some, actually that wasn't really the operative thing this, uh, with the list that I came up with. That's something that I guess that, um, I generally don't do anyway, unless like the ADP value I think is like ridiculous. Like in other words, I don't know. And plus it's hard to say, especially in a year with so much quarterback transitional change, which offenses are bad. I mean, do you have a good handle? Maybe that's the reason why that I've, I've kind of, um, I haven't focused so much on that aspect of player valuation. It's just because my degree of confidence in which teams have the good and bad quarterbacks is low. You have so many quarterbacks who are kind of aging out and you don't know when the cliff season is going to come. Uh, age 35 or older. And then you have so many quarterbacks who are under 25 who we really don't know if if those guys are going to be good or if they're good. Um, so how, what is your approach to that? Yeah, I mean, generally I do try and avoid bad offenses. That would be that would be sort of like my, my guiding principle is I don't want guys on bad offenses. And if they are on a bad offense, they need to be like the guy. So so an example of that would be like D.D. Westbrook. So he's not, he's not on an offense that is going to be very good, but he's right at about wide receiver 44. And I feel pretty confident that he's going to get 110, 120 targets in that offense. And he's like such a skillful player that that should come with, you know, two or three long touchdowns. So a guy like that, I would be more in on an example of a guy probably that I would not be willing to draft even super cheap would be, I don't know, you know, someone like, uh, I'm just looking at, at wide receiver ADP here, maybe someone like Paris Campbell, I haven't taken very often. He's in a, he's in a good offense, but I think his role to playing time is so limited. Like, I think if you draft Paris Campbell, you're probably going to end up cutting him by week three. Yeah. Like he might be a good guy to actually pick up off waivers in the second half of the season. If you see a role evolving, but I agree with you. He's the classic example of a guy who may end up being viewed as as a uh, decent pick at ADP, but the trick is it's very unlikely that the person who drafts him at ADP, even if he pops as the season progresses a little bit and offers some explosiveness and sort of, you know, in a hybrid role where maybe he's going to be getting carries from scrimmage as well, um, it's going to be very unlikely that that original owner actually holds him through all of what are probably going to be empty weeks in the first half of the season. 
Right. So I, I think if we're talking about avoids, the first guy that we have to talk about is, of course, Todd Gurley with, yes. the, with the knee stuff, with Daryl Henderson. So where are you at right now with Gurley? He, would, he was my first guy. He's a guy. And I was trying to go in like the order of the draft because I didn't want to pick a, guy, a bunch of guys who – you know, um, nobody really wants, right? So uh, Gurley is a guy that that I'm just not really not comfortable drafting him anywhere. And he's also a guy that I'm not really that worried about. Um, there, there, uh, players fall into, there's two ways to define a player as far as like a, a draft value. Um, are you, if you don't want to take the guy, are you still worried if, if, like your top opponent in the league or a real smart player takes him. And I'm not that really worried about Gurley in the hands of, and I know he's been a super explosive player and I feel like I should be worried that maybe we are overstating the arthritis and, and the, um, in the draft. And maybe he is going to be essentially the Gurley that he had been for the year and a half prior to the knee cropping up last season. So I think that it's sort of, um, I think there are sort of like binary outcomes with Gurley. I either think he's healthy and the team is going to use him like a lot of good teams use their running backs, or it, he just is not going to have the juice anymore. Like I think the chances that Gurley has like a, a an RB18 season are very low. I think he's either going to be an RB1 or a guy you just don't want to start. Like doesn't that seem like the most likely way to describe the situation? Can you, can you see him getting 150 carries and – 45 targets like that just doesn't feel very realistic well I think that I think you're you're correct in 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 what you're saying but I think that that's mostly on a per week basis so he may start the year as as a guy that you're happy with as your as an RB1 but how is he going to finish the year in other words is it going to be similar to his path last year when uh where when you really needed him the most he wasn't available to you and it was the worst kind of uh unavailability where you had to play him anyway like you couldn't even swap somebody in like who was going to play if you had you're telling me you have Todd Gurley and he's active and you're going to be playing CJ Anderson yeah I mean it just he really did put you in a difficult spot and I get I mean there's also a chance that Daryl Henderson's ADP ends up looking hilarious right like like if Gurley is just Gurley the way they used him last year Henderson is very unlikely to pay off in the seventh or eighth round. Somebody put the over under. I, I wish I could remember who it was, but it was a very clever question. Um, they they said uh, 149 touches. It was it was my Roto Experts uh, companion Anthony Amico who tweeted this. And what was amazing was I came into the poll late and I just wanted to see the results, so I voted. It was exactly 50 50. So that's when you know you have a really good over-under. But I was, I was uncomfortable either way on that, to be honest with you. Um, so I would, I would probably, with the way that I've been drafting Gurley, like I've just been avoiding him even in the second round. And I, I, the third round, I think, is where you really have the decision with Gurley because at that point, you probably have two players that you really like. And you're probably, if you have two guys you really like, you're probably thinking, okay, you know, in the third round, do, do I want to take Leonard Fournette? No, I probably would rather have Gurley. Do I want to take Derrick Henry? Like, I think, I think that range is where you actually have a decision on. But him. he's never going to last that long, though. Don't, do, would you agree? I mean, I, I would say that 
maybe there's like a less than 10% chance that he lasts past the early second round. He's, re- that- he's really starting to slip in the, uh, like the competitive best balls. Oh, I, I could see that. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I wonder if it would be different for people who are drafting in just like a, an annual league. Where I think I think in those yeah I think in those casual leagues I think he's much more likely to be something like a second round pick like I, it's hard for me to imagine in a casual league him going significantly later than that and that may not be a product of the degree of expertise of the of the players in the league it could be just a function of the ability to make transactions and you figure if if something goes wrong you know you can you can figure out a plan b or maybe you could even draft girly knowing that you'll just handcuff them yeah which like and i'm usually against handcuffs but this is a case where the handcuff makes a tremendous amount of sense yeah, definitely. I, I would agree with that. So going a little bit further down the list, I wanted to know what you had on Derrick Henry because I think much like Gurley, I think his ADP is either way too high or way too low because if he, if he plays like he did for the first 12 weeks last year, RB17 is way too high. If they put Lewis back on the bench, RB17 is way too low. If, they, if I had assurances they would use him like they used him the last four weeks, I would take him over Mack. I would take him over Aaron Jones. I would take him over Fournette. And I would maybe even start to think about taking him over like Chubb or Dalvin Cook. I, um, he was like off of my radar completely. I just was not going to take him. Then I, I looked at his stats um, after somebody in the best ball of death uh, drafted him in the, at the turn at the, fir- uh, at the second and third round turn. And I was like, really Henry. And, and then I did an MFL subsequently and I got him in the early uh, at the third and fourth round turn essentially. Cause I was picking 11th. So I kind of think, if you could get him in the early fourth round, late third round, that's reasonable. I'm really not comfortable pushing him up into the, um, you know, the, the turn in the second and third rounds. So to me, he's more of a top 40 player and not a top 30 player. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So who's the first guy that you have on your list as an avoid? You know, I, I, I hate picking on Melvin Gordon, but you know, like I am yards focused and I know that Gordon has the touchdown secret sauce in this San Diego. Uh, well, I guess Los Angeles, offense. But, but maybe, but maybe not with Hunter Henry back. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is he's underrated injury prone because he suffers his injuries at a point of the season where they, where we don't notice them that much. His owners certainly notice them when he's not available to them in the playoffs, but he doesn't have the reputation of being somebody who's injury prone. But the other thing, in addition to, uh, you know, that saving him games where if the same injuries that had occurred earlier, he, he would be flagged for that. What's unavoidable is he's got a lot of wear and tear on his body. He had microfracture surgery after his, rookie year he's had a variety of knee injuries he's only been over a thousand yards one year am I correct with that like I think that's like an amazing bit bit of trivia with Melvin Gordon in an era where a thousand yards isn't even a big deal he's only he's only cracked a thousand yards once I'm gonna I'm fact checking you real quick wow that is true so he's had over a thousand combo yards more times but only a thousand rushing yards once 
And, and this is, I'm interested in your take on this because philosophically for me, like I definitely want my running back to be involved in the, in the passing game, but I, I want um, a really high bettable floor in, in rushing yardage as well. Like, I think that that's sort of the, the bread and butter, you know, and the other things are the gravy. Like definitely you want the goal line touchdowns. Definitely. You would like a guy who's uh, very much involved in the passing game since those uh, touches are, are so much more valuable than rushes. But I really do like a very high and confident projectable level of rushing yards to start a um, running back ADP in the top six. And I just can't get there with Gordon. I, I have not taken him yet. I've, well, maybe I've taken him once or twice. I would have to go look in my best balls. But I know for a fact that I probably have opted to start going for wide receivers there. And, I, and like in my overall rankings, I have like Hopkins, Michael Thomas, Odell Beckham, and Smith-Schuster all over him. Like for me, I do think that Saquon, Elliott, McCaffrey, and Kamara are the top tier. Actually, probably put D- David Johnson in there as well. And, yeah. then, the, and then the tier with Gordon, um, Le'Veon Bell, James Conner, Joe Mix, and then that tier starts. And I of of that tier, I like Bell and Mixon. Mixon just because of his uh, great ability and the fact that he probably is going to have a very good market share in that offense in both rushing and receiving. Um, and I like Bell just because I think we're kind of underrating the the Jets offense a little bit, and it's not as much of a drag. I think on his expected value as the market believes. Ah, uh, man, I don't know. I, I, I am undecided on Le'Veon Bell. I know of course that you're very high on the jets. My concerns are not with Darnold. Actually, my concerns are pretty much all related to Gase and the pace of that offense. That's very reasonable. The pace of the offense is, is probably something that's just part of his DNA. Um, although, you would like to see maybe the quarterback has a little bit of a role in that. Like if he could just, you know, process things more quickly, maybe, maybe the teams, maybe the team doesn't have to take as much time, you know, looking at the defense at the line of scrimmage and either getting in or out of an audible. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I don't know if that, I don't know if that's a function necessarily of coaching or of quarterback. It's like when they say, oh, this quarterback, you know, the gay system throws a lot of underneath passes and a lot of passes short of the sticks, like one of the highest percentages in the league. Is that Gase or is that, you know, his quarterbacks? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think probably a big part of it is Gase. Like it's like uh, other than the Peyton Manning year, his offenses were very slow. Right. But he did have he does have the experience in the Peyton Manning year, so you know maybe he's confident uh, with with Darnold. But I think that that, I'm not, that is I'm not a quite very sure. legitimate. I'm not quite sure Darnold is at that level yet. Maybe he'll get there, but I'm I'm pretty sure he's not there yet. No, but what I mean is maybe he has confident. Maybe he has the confidence in Darnold to to give to put more on his plate and to not you know try to slow things down a little bit. Yeah. Um, all right. Who's the next guy on your list? Uh, this is similar to, to Gordon, uh, Jarvis Landry, man. Like he, yeah, I'm out. I mean, I just can't see it. He doesn't, once Mayfield became the starter last year and kitchens took over the offense, Landry was kind of like an afterthought. I mean, he was just like a guy like, and he, he's not a good bet for yardage. And 
I just don't know really what the target floor is. Like I'm a little bit worried about Beckham for the same reason. Like I don't know how it's going to shake out. On paper, it would seem like Landry's role is going to maybe be uh, amplified because he's going to be the easier targeted player on most plays if you assume that defenses are going to focus mostly on Beckham. So, uh, I mean, I could see a scenario where it's just so easy to throw to Landry that he ends up with more targets than Beckham, but he's been relatively inefficient. His yardage is never good I mean he doesn't he can you project him for a thousand receiving yards even he might be close I'd have to I'll go pull up our projections right now I'm assuming he's probably lower than that the issue to me is that Landry's efficiency decreases when his average depth of target goes up and I'm really expecting Beckham to get uh, a lion's share of the targets right like I just I don't think that this is going to be a scenario where Jarvis Landry walks into 160 targets again yeah, the Duke Johnson situation could help Landry and the wide receivers in general because, um, you know, if he's going to be traded or not on the team, then I don't think that they're going to really have a top-end receiving option in the passing game. I'm not saying that Chubb can't actually – you know, he'll he'll catch, he'll get catches. I don't think he's, uh, you know, Alfred Morris. But I, I just can't – I can't see them – emphasizing him in the passing game by design so that maybe will help the receivers because the the market share last year um once they made the coaching change was was pretty unfriendly for wide receivers it was not a heavily targeted wide receiver uh passing offense with kitchens So the projection that we have for Landry is 96 targets, 757 yards, and uh, four and a half receiving touchdowns. Oh, my God. And that's that's like with giving him, I think, like maybe like an 18% market share of the offense. And smart guys are are happily um, targeting him in like the the sixth round. I've seen him go in the fifth round. I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. Where are you on Mayfield? Uh, pass attempts you know he was only at like a 525 pace with kitchens and that they were five and three if you assume that they're going to win 10 games game script is not going to be his friend in terms of passing attempts and they have a really good back uh and running game and they have probably presumably an offensive play caller who wants to run the ball so uh, i think that that's where there's huge variance in projections and I'm curious as to where you are on Mayfield. So we have 554 passing attempts for Mayfield, 31.9 passing touchdowns, 4,434 yards. We're, we're giving a lot of credence to Freddie Kitchens, and, uh, but, but more so Todd Munkin. Munkin made, the, Munkin made that offense in Tampa Bay last year with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston, the third best. Um, uh, that was like an all-time all-time YPA offense there. Right. And I think Mayfield is better than both of those guys. And it's kind of fascinating that, you know, uh, and and it's concerning if you're somebody who's betting on Jameis Winston in that offense, which uh, uh, in the Tampa Bay offense with Arians, who's also similar to Monken, like a downfield thrower. It's, it's very alarming that Fitzpatrick was so much better in YPA. Like, I don't know if there's ever been two quarterbacks in NFL history who have, uh, a similar sample of pass attempts who had that much variance on the same team in the same offense. I mean, two 
And two yards of YPA is enormous. You never see that. Was that adjusted yards per attempt as well or just straight YPA? Straight YPA. Okay, I'm going, I'm going to go look up the adjusted yards per attempt difference. Still, still pretty big. Jameis, 7.3. Fitzpatrick, 8.8. So one and a half adjusted yeah. yards per attempt. I mean, that's, you know, that's a big problem. But I can't see anybody drafting uh, Landry. The other guy, and, uh, the next wide receiver, uh, and this is actually a guy who would be drafted earlier, but uh, and maybe this is because I like Tyler uh, Boyd so much, and we had him last year in the Stopa League. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to sort of box myself out of getting Boyd by taking green, but I, I just don't even like green in a vacuum. Like, even if you told me, listen, you're not going to get Boyd. Somebody likes Boyd more than you. They're going to draft him higher than you would. I don't, I still don't think I would take green. Yeah. I mean, I, I have not taken Boyd. I'm on the opposite side of that. I just think that the, I think that the offense will probably drift away from him this year. I, I kind of like taking Ross later in drafts. Boy, now that is, that's almost like a pocket pick. Like you could take that guy. Uh, where's he going? Uh, maybe round 15 at the earliest. I mean, he doesn't even go most of the time. So yeah. on, on fantasy pros, ADPs wide receiver, 98, 295th overall. That's that's a ballsy move to bet on Ross. Um, I mean, he was a ninth overall pick. He does have speed. He did have the seven touchdowns on like what was it like twenty one catches or twenty something ridiculous, right? Yeah, he had he had he had seven touchdowns on like fifty five targets. Yeah, but and and hardly any catches. Like you know, even if he was converting the targets efficiently, you could maybe buy a little bit of um, exaggerated TD efficiency as being somewhat predictive more than descriptive but he was so bad at converting targets it makes no sense that he was good at converting red zone targets yeah i mean it, i think it was just total like fluky luck variance that that was able to happen for him but i do think that if you just look at profiles of guys to bet on you go you know first round pick uh fastest 40 time in the history of the combine new offensive coordinator like that would be a guy to try and buy low on right but the uh, the argument against him would be this is a guy who was only uh, that high of a pick because of speed. And, you know, as you know, there's really n- the problem with wide receivers and, and the all the spark and combine stuff is there's nothing really that proves to be predictive as far as the individual tests, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I still weight the stuff. I still would prefer guys who are athletic over guys who are not athletic. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, and, and plus, pretty much everybody who gets drafted is athletic to some degree. I'm interested why you're off Boyd. Like, he was sort of our, our secret weapon last year, and I think he's, especially in Dynasty, like, I might actually push him up to, like, a top 10 receiver. I just, think that, I just think that he's really being drafted at his ceiling because he is, you know, he is the, the slot guy. And with Tyler Eifert back, I don't think, like, as long as Eifert is healthy – I don't really see him being like the red zone guy. So I just, I sort of feel like he's kind of priced at his ceiling in drafts right now. 
And what do you think of him as a player, just as far as like his true skill level? Is that is he somebody that you're down on as far as talent, or or is he somebody that you're that you like as far as the? No, I I like his talent. I think that I think that he's a good player. I liked him a lot as a prospect, and I was sort of surprised to see how long he floundered, but I wasn't surprised by his breakout particularly. It'd be interesting to see these guys who have these later breakouts for him. I guess it was his third year, right? And that would be the theory, I guess, if you're taking Ross, you're looking for a similar third year breakout. Um, but uh, I wonder if a guy, once a guy breaks out, does he stay broken out? In other words, like another guy that I could think of like this historically was Eric Moulds, who, who, uh, who broke out, like did nothing initially then had a huge breakout and then was a really good player for a number of years. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's too far back past my range. I don't know. <laughs> um, the next guy on the list, uh, uh, Sony, uh, Sony Michelle for me is somebody I want no part of like that. Yeah. Damien Harris pick just completely screws up like any ability that I have to figure out what their plan is in that backfield. Yeah, I mean, I just think that the the upside with Sony was all him finding a way to get into a pass-catching role, and I just don't really see that. Uh, I just don't see, like, is there any way he ends up being a pass-catcher this year? I, I don't think so. They seem to – I wrote an article for 538 last year um, about the Patriots running game, and what was hilarious about it and almost, like, inconceivable is that – when they had, they were basically telling you exactly what they were going to do. Like when White was on the field, they passed 80% of the time. When Michelle was on the field, they ran 80% of the time. And they were getting away with it. You know, and the guy that you didn't know, the, 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 the wild card running back was when Burkhead was on the field, they, they really showed no tendency. So um, you would think that White just has that passing role locked in. Like they'll just put him on the field if they want to pass. And since teams aren't, overloading to to stop that uh like in a in a poker sense when you know what whether the guy's bluffing or not i I, why why would they stop doing what they had been what they have been doing so i i think uh there's like a decent chance from what i've heard that uh that burkhead is going to get cut yeah i would think that too but then i was hearing somebody was reporting from new england about how the only guys with guaranteed roles in the patriots offense are um white and burkhead and i was like burkhead how does burkhead have a guaranteed role i mean i i don't know i just think the the move with patriots running backs is always avoid the overpriced ones and draft the cheap ones so this year you're drafting damian harris and rex burkhead Right. And, and like, if they like Michelle, why did they draft Harris? I don't know. I mean, I do think they do just want to run the air out of the ball this year. Tom Brady's 42. Oh, I, I'm totally in agreement there. And they, and they definitely do want to run the ball a lot. That, that was, they, they had a lot of success with that last year. It's going to be interesting to see if they could replicate that success without Gronkowski, who kind of put teams in a pickle where, you know, they had to obviously respect the pass, but he was such a great run blocker. Um, I, you know, uh, it, what's really interesting, like the people who get on the jets for spending all the money on bell, the Patriots spend more money on running backs than the jets still. Yeah. I mean the Patriots, they, they think that they've solved the game by, uh, by zigging when everyone else is zagging. And I do think, I do think not having Gronkowski is going to be a pretty big deal for them. Uh, here's a guy we're going to disagree on. 
Corey Davis want no part of that. That, that okay, this is my bad offense. Uh and bad quarterback. I just have no faith in Mariota. Like I kind of like Mariota periodically when he's healthy, but the thing about Mariota that nobody factors in is YPA is great or good at least usually. Um, and that's usually the set that I look at the most, but boy, his sack rate, he sacks are uh, largely a quarterback sat, stat in my opinion. And when you get sacked at the rate that he gets sacked at, and they have Tannehill, who's also over 11% sacks. 11% sacks. Like, people don't realize sacks stop 84% of drives. Even when you get sacked on first down, your rate of getting a first down on that set of downs is cut uh, by more than a half. I, I think I think you go from 76% to, like, 28 or 29%. So it's almost like a third. Just, you know, the ability to, to just get a, another first down on that drive. That's how crushing and drive-killing sacks are. Yeah, we do disagree on this one. Not that, I, not that I am a Corey Davis backer, but I do think that when Mariota's in there, the offense should theoretically be like, you know, maybe kind of close to league average. And I like a lot of their pass catchers. I thought the A.J. Brown selection was pretty good. Uh, they'll have Delaney Walker back. Johnu Smith is another one of those like athletic prospect type of guys. Deion Lewis, good pass catching running back. Derrick Henry, relatively efficient running back. So I think that if Corey Davis is able to get like a 22 to 24% target share of that offense, I think he's like probably a better value than taking Christian Kirk, who's wide receiver 34 right behind him. Yeah, and so what's your projection for Davis? Uh, and he, I'll pull that up right now. It's probably – it's a little bit better than I thought. 108 targets, 864 yards, but a really low touchdown rate because of what we're projecting overall for that offense to score per game. Yeah, and I think this is an offense that's always going to underachieve some of the more advanced metrics like you know yards per play or, or YPA. Um, where where yards per pass play is going to be much lower than yard than YPA, and that's going to be a drag on on the offense because a lot of drives, similar to like when you throw an interception, a lot of drives are just going to die. Yeah, I mean that that seems fair. Like I I don't want to bang the table for Corey Davis, but he's a guy I'm fine taking as my third or fourth wide receiver. And then I had, uh, and this is a guy that. Uh, I, he helped me win the the Evans League, that Havos League. So you would think that I would like him, uh, Dante Pettis. But no, no, man, zero interest. Pettis, Pettis had had like hardly any targets. He was leveraging them uh, insanely, um, and now there's way better wide receivers on the team. So I'm just out of Pettis like completely. I never even think of him before he goes. Yeah, no, I, I have no interest in taking him. He like profiles as like a slot only guy, and George Kittle is really their slot wide receiver. Yeah, and plus now they got um, uh, you know, through the draft they got Samuel right. So, um, and uh, the the other guy, um, the Jalen, yeah, Hurd. the the herd who's like sort of like a hybrid, right? They don't know if he's a running back or a, a wide receiver. He could be a little bit of both, but he's six foot four. Like how could a guy that tall get the ball from scrimmage? But I don't know what they're going to do with Hurd. Um, but, you know, I sort of like you, where are you on Debo? Like as far as like dynasty, for example. 
Dynasty, I like him. I, I think I had I think I have him as like an early second round pick, which is a little bit higher than the market, but I think it was like a pretty good landing spot. And I I like so like I like him better than Pettis. So I think he probably fits that uh like he can play on yes. the outside too. So I think he's probably just like a better fit for all that weird stuff that Shanahan likes to run, especially as long as they don't like, you know, they don't have a real wide receiver one. They have Kittle and then a bunch of guys. Plus, I remember, uh, you know, w- when we were team tall wide receiver, then we kind of both realized that it was more team big wide receiver. Well, they you they changed they changed the rules on us, right? Like, it, team big yeah. wide receiver used to be the way to go, and then they changed the rules on how you could defend guys, and then slot like smaller, quicker slot guys became what you wanted. But don't you want? A bigger bodied guys too like he's kind of a big bodied guy like sort of like a, he's built more like an Anquan Bolden isn't he yeah yeah he so he like looks like a running back like he's like yeah he's, he's six feet tall but he's 215 pounds so so your model still likes that right like you like that kind of body mass as a wide receiver just for the ability to kind of like box out and contest a little bit right yeah I still I still like guys with some physicality like that's still going to project well for me um, the next guy's a running back. I can't imagine that you'd be in on him. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that he even gets drafted at all, but I guess you have to, but LaShawn McCoy, like, yeah, no, haven't, haven't taken him yet and won't the circus has left town, man. I, I, you know, so, so how are you playing the, the Buffalo running game? Because the thing about it is there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, because as you know, when you have a guy that can threaten, you, you know, the, uh, containment for read option fakes, that just opens up the running game so much. It should add 0.5 to 1.0 yards per carry to, to a back versus what he would, you know, gain in a more standard offense. So I think that that's a real, um, fertile rushing offense. So how are you playing the Buffalo running game? Are you like Yeldon or are you looking at, um, uh, what is Devin Singletary? Yeldon is the guy that I have taken, but I think that it, that just might just be one of those headache backfields where you, you just don't like any of them or none of them end up being great. Well, or it could just be like attrition because Yeldon can never stay healthy, even in a limited role. McCoy is always hurt and he's on the, the circus's left town, right? For McCoy. So it could almost be like by default that you would take Singletary. Like maybe he'll just be the last man standing by like week five. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a, and Yeldon is like a good pass catcher, right? So like he has that over Singletary and I just don't even know if they'll play McCoy. Like McCoy just might not make the team. Yeah, uh, to me, that would be the least surprising of the quote-unquote surprising cuts um, in the late summer would be if the Bills just cut McCoy. Yeah, would not would not be surprising. So some other later-ish guys that I'm just not taking at all. Carlos Hyde, no no real interest for me. I just don't I don't yeah. see it. Um, Why the, exactly? I, I just think it's clearly Damian Williams' backfield, and Hyde is like in the best balls. Hyde goes in like the ninth round. I like know he, he goes like he's like a real player, which he's not. What do you think of the? They have a. Um, they drafted somebody, right? Like yeah, in the yeah. Sixth Dar- round? Darwin, Darwin Thompson, who a lot he, of like scout guys like. He's like he's like Chris Thompson, isn't he? Yeah, basically. Maybe that maybe could, weighs a little bit more. That could be a a real valuable role 
Like that could be a very sneaky. I, I wrote an article for the athletic where I write fantasy about how there's like zero, zero running backs this year. Like in other words, those guys that were just like, Oh, it's Chris Thompson. You could get him in like the ninth round. Like where, are, who are those guys? It just doesn't seem like there are the, the textbook zero running back was always, Hey, he's the receiving back and he'll get a few carries. But if there's an injury, his role will elevate into something really valuable. So there are, there are like four guys. There's Ito Smith, Jalen Samuels, Naheem Hines, and I think still Giovanni Bernard. But do you think that if there was an injury to Connor, wouldn't they just go with uh, Snell? Like they drafted him to be a between-the-tackle runner. Like I know he's got horrible spark, but they must like him. See, the, what people don't realize is that when a team drafts a guy, they don't think that he's worth that pick. They think he's way better than that pick. Yeah, no, that that's definitely true. The Steelers do like him, and there's already been a, like three or four like puff pieces about Snell from camp about how good he's looked and how much the team likes him. Right. Yeah. Um. So, so I don't know about uh, Ito Smith for sure. He's definitely the old school. Like you could feel, but the thing is, he was so inefficient last year that that could scare you a little bit. Um. But it it's not scaring you. No, not at all. Um, but yeah, I would agree that Ito Smith is the guy where you could always get him in like the ninth or 10th round or even later. And you could feel really good that he's going to have some kind of a floor and he's got the ceiling with an injury of being, you know, a top 15 back. Yeah. Ito probably is one of the guys I've drafted most often this off season. Right. Like he so just you, feels, he feels like a lock to me. And you would go Ito over Singletary. I haven't, yeah, Singletary, no interest. He he profiles horribly. Right. Um, um, here's a guy that we both have liked in the past, and we've both owned him in the Stopa League, but I'm sorry, I'm out. Emmanuel Sanders, like, I oh, can't. No, completely done. Haven't taken him, haven't taken him at all. I take Hamilton a lot. I, and I don't care, like, how well the reports are about your recovery from, it's an Achilles tear, man. And like, he's old and yes. small. And speed was his game. Like, if he comes back, it would be a miracle. Like, why bet on a miracle? Yeah. Even a small bet on a miracle is stupid. Yeah. I, I, don't have, I don't have any interest at all. And he, this guy burned me and maybe you last year, but I can't believe anybody takes Adrian Peterson. Like, seriously, I would not take Peterson at the end of, like, a 14-team auction for $1. I would find a better option. I've probably taken him in a couple best balls, but I don't really like him. Like I, like I, I guess more just I'm not really in on Geis. I think Geis is probably like fool's yeah, gold. Yeah, yeah. And then both the running backs are the Redskins only draft running backs who have bad knees. It seems like don't they have everybody in their backfield has had a major knee surgery? Is that the is that true? Thompson. Peterson, Geis, yeah, they've all torn their and ACL. Love. And Love, And right? Love, yeah, he tore his ACL as well. Yeah, like catastrophically, some of these injuries as well. So um, that's weird. That's funny, isn't it? The Redskins, man, you, you know, they're, they're in their own world over there. Uh, but that was pretty much it as far as the guys. I And I am more of a um, it's never the player, it's the price kind right. of a guy. Yeah. Uh, but these are guys that seriously, like, even if I think that they're sliding a little bit, I would probably think of something else like Gordon, say Gordon slid 
Bell was off the board and Gordon's there with like the 10th pick, I think I still might take Hopkins. Yeah, the guys that I'm more firm about not taking are like guys who just don't have any ceiling like like later on in the draft. Like what is Emmanuel Sanders' ceiling at this point? Like I just don't see it with him. Exactly. That's the mistake that people make in those middle, uh, even starting in the middle rounds, but definitely in the late rounds. You want to be drafting ceilings because you got to figure your the churn rate of those guys, the base rate of churning those guys, and obviously it's different in best ball, so maybe there's a different strategy. But and, No, and, if your later round picks in best ball, you really want to be targeting upside because theoretically by the time you're making your 14th, 15th, 16th picks, you should have a bunch of solid guys. So you want to be looking for guys who can win the league for you, not give you eight points. So a guy like that for me that I take in almost all the best balls is Funches, who like everybody hates. He's still young. He's on a team that just cannot stop throwing touchdown passes. They're like designed to throw touchdown passes. Luck is extremely prolific in that regard. And he's a red zone guy. He's never been with a quarterback, in my opinion, who – you know, can really create wide receiver value uh, or receiving value from nothing. And I don't know. Um, I know that uh, he's, he's not a guy who pops off the chart in any way as far as his physical traits, but he does have size. Yeah, I, I like Funches. A guy I've taken late a lot are the Buffalo guys, John Brown and Robert Foster, because I'm pretty certain they'll both have, you know, they'll each have weeks of long touchdowns. Absolutely. That's the only thing Allen can do. Yeah. So those are, those are like examples. And then um, I actually am more likely to draft handcuff running backs in best ball than I am in standard because, you know, if, if, if Dalvin Cook goes down, Alex Madison, boom, RB1. Oh, I love Madison, man. And that's why that's here. You know, Cook is a guy I, I can see drafting him though. So I, I, I do respect the talent, but I think he he is not suffering any consequence as of yet for his inability to stay healthy through his first two seasons. Yeah, and and it will come eventually. You know, his backup last year, Latavius, I mean, he's fine, but Madison like has younger, fresher legs. And if you look at the 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 uh and everybody looks good on the YouTube videos, right? But he, this guy's got some some moves he's not straight he's not strictly a power runner he does have that physicality to his game but he can also make guys miss in 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 space well you got to take into account the fact that he wasn't even playing you know like he was he the boise states in the mountain west right right so he was not playing anyone who was any good yeah no yeah all right. Well, I think that uh, that'll do it for here for the uh, the players that we are thinking about avoiding this year, at least at their current cost. Tell people about what you have going on over at the Athletic, Mike. So, um, fantasy baseball and fantasy football. I write uh, a few columns a week, but now they're um, uh, the football column that I usually write on on Fridays, even in the off season. Those are being held for the draft kit that's going to be coming out. So we're gonna they're gonna hit you with like a hundred articles all at once. It's like an incredible team of writers at the athletic. Like you get a, a ridiculous amount of content. And, um, I also, uh, am still writing, uh, periodically for the wall street journal in five thirty-eight, And I also do the, this is kind of cool, you know, byline. Um, but you know, I, I already have all that byline, uh, sort of, juice for the resume but uh so this is something that's just like a labor of love but i write the backs of the 
baseball cards. And I also did a set of tennis cards for tops, which is like, that's, that is cool. A childhood dream come true. Yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. All right. Well, everyone make sure to check out Mike's stuff on the athletic and at five thirty eight, and we will be back next week.